0: Well, good morning. Welcome to Element Church. My name is Andy Hazlett. Uh, As Pastor Jeff said, I'm one of the associate pastors here at Element and uh, just have the privilege of sharing the message with you today. Uh, Whether you are here in person or whether you're joining us online, just want to say welcome to you and uh, we're glad that you've chosen to join us here today. Uh, You may not know this about me, but this last year uh, I crossed the 30 barrier. I turned 30 years old this last year and some people will come up to me when they find that out, and they'll tell me, you're only 30 years old, and I'm not sure whether to take that, I'm not sure how to take that, if if that's a compliment, or if that's some sort of slam, I'm not sure, but uh, the fact that I turned 30 this year, uh, it didn't bother me at all, but there were a few goals that I wanted to accomplish before turning 30, and one of those goals is that I wanted to to run a 10K, I, I wanted to run a 10K, now I have no aspirations at all. All to be a competitive runner or anything like that But I, I felt like I just—I really want to accomplish this I want to I know that I'm good, in good enough physical shape To run 6.2 miles without stopping That was my goal And so earlier on in the year uh, Started kind of working toward that goal I don't ever run, I don't know, 3 or 4 miles Something like that without stopping So I uh, started working towards that goal And my wife Aubrey, uh, she runs all the time She's way faster than me She can run way farther than me And so she was gracious enough to uh, run alongside me. And at one point we went out together on a run and we were out of town. We went out on this run together and we were about three miles into this run and we both felt good and everything was good. And so we decided, Hey, let's just do the full 6.2 miles. I just want to accomplish this, this goal right now. So we kept going, felt good. And then about half mile left, uh, the, th- there was a huge rainstorm that just came out and just dumped rain on us. And We were just dressed. We said, let's just keep going. Let's finish. So we finished the 6.2 miles. We were drenched from the rain. And I just remember feeling this this deep sense of satisfaction and accomplishment. Like, yes, I finally accomplished it. I can do nothing the rest of the year. Just sit on the couch. No, that's not really true. I don't do that. But I felt this deep sense of satisfaction and uh, accomplishment. However, uh, I woke up the next morning. Ooh, there's a storm right now. I think uh, I woke up the next morning, and my knees and my back, and really my entire body, did not feel that same sense of satisfaction and accomplishment. I'm not sure if you've experienced something like that or not. The the reality is, the physical sense of satisfaction that we experience in life is merely a fleeting moment. But there is a spiritual satisfaction a spiritual satisfaction that is eternal. And we're going to take a look today at this spiritual satisfaction specifically relating to the work of Jesus. The big idea for the message today is this. The suffering of Jesus is the only true source of satisfaction. The suffering of Jesus is the only true source of satisfaction. Now, most often, when we talk about Jesus, we look into the New Testament portion of the Bible, which describes the life of Jesus, his death on the cross, the resurrection of Jesus, and the immediate history of the Christian church after Jesus ascends to heaven. However, one of the greatest proofs for the Christian faith are the Old Testament prophecies that are fulfilled perfectly in Jesus. And and today we're going to look at probably the most well-known prophecy of Jesus from the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 53. And, And in fact, if you're here today and you don't believe in Jesus, first off, I just want to say, I'm so glad that you're here. And I hope that you continue to come and hear about what we have to say about Jesus. And I want to encourage you to listen today with an open mind. And I would even invite you to do further study on this Passage. It's an incredible passage of scripture. It was written 700 years before Jesus came to earth as a man. And one of the interesting things about this passage is that, that this prophecy is incredibly specific and all of the specifics that we see in this prophecy from Isaiah are fulfilled perfectly in Jesus. Personally, uh, this passage of scripture has built my faith a great deal in the person and work of Jesus. And I believe that it will do the same for you as well. The main scripture is Isaiah 53 verses one through six. If you don't have a Bible or own a Bible, we'd love to give you one. Uh, Just stop by guest services sometime today ask for one and we'd love to give you one today. Uh, Also, we encourage you to use the YouVersion Bible app. You can download that on any mobile device and there's an events feature on YouVersion and you can follow along the notes there if you'd like. Isaiah 53 verses 1 through 6 says this, Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. The suffering of Jesus is the only true source of satisfaction. So, the big question that we're going to ask today is this why did Jesus suffer? Why did Jesus suffer? And there are three promises we're going to look at today that answer that question. This whole passage speaks of the suffering of our Savior, but the suffering of Jesus could not happen without the Son of God first becoming man. And so the first promise is this. Number one, the promise of a Redeemer. The promise of a Redeemer. Let's look back at verses 1 and 2 quickly. It says, This, who has believed our message to whom as the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. These first two verses show us two powerful truths. The first being the power of God in sending his son for our salvation and the second being the humility of Jesus the son. Psalm 19 verse 1 says, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Interestingly, this word hands in other translations is the word handiwork, and, and specifically, literally, it means finger work. The creation of the heavens and the earth are the work of His finger. But when the Scriptures speak of the Father sending the Son, it says, to whom has the Lord revealed His powerful arm? When the Father sends His very Son for the redemption of mankind, He rolls up His sleeve. It speaks to the power of our God. It elevates for us the coming of the Messiah as a greater, more powerful, more miraculous work than the creation of the heavens and the earth. Dr. T. Dewitt Talmadge Describes it this way and he says God created the physical universe without half trying When God created the heavens and the earth, it was without effort. He merely spoke them into existence When he rested on the seventh day, he wasn't tired. He had just finished everything. It was completed but when God redeemed man, it required his bared arm, for salvation was his greatest undertaking. Wow. Hallelujah is right. Wow. About this time last year, I I shared a message with you and I I shared a picture with you of my farm. You may not know that about me, but I shared a a picture with you of my farm and I brought a new updated picture for you. Here it is. It's not quite an acre. I think I shared that last year, but it's like four feet by eight feet, something like that. And you see in the background, we've, we've added an addition. We added a house to the farm. It may be plastic in only one room, but it's awesome and the kids love it. And uh I love I, I love having a garden. I never knew I'd like that, but I love the salsa that it produces and it's super fun and it's awesome. Now I know that Wyoming is not the most fertile place in the world. We don't have you know, we have a growing season that's like two weeks long or something like that. Uh you, you may you may have experienced that as well. I know we don't have an amazing uh growing season in Wyoming. But we can still grow things. Now imagine with me, I want you to get this picture in your head. Imagine with me a dry, dusty desert that's like always over 100 degrees. There's virtually no moisture in the air or in the soil. And there's virtually no signs of plant life. Get that image in your mind. And then I want you to imagine, imagine with me that a fresh head of iceberg lettuce grows up out of that soil. That would be absolutely amazing, right? That would be miraculous and incredible. And, and so it is with the coming of Christ. This is the picture that Isaiah gives to us. It is miraculous. It's amazing. The, the, he, he came by the power of God. And, and don't also miss this that he came in humility. Jesus did not come as the glorious elm tree that is filled with splendor. He came as the tender plant. The Gospel of Mark depicts Jesus coming as the suffering servant, in fact. So what should be our response to the suffering servants, the God that became flesh? He came by the power of God, but he came In humility, what should be our response to that kind of God? And earlier in the service, we sang the song, Man of Sorrows. And and in that song, there's a, a powerful verse that we sang out to God. Oh, that rugged cross, my salvation, where your love poured out over me. Now my soul cries out, hallelujah, praise and honor unto thee. There are a few appropriate responses to this promise of a redeemer, but the first one is this, worship. Worship. My my response to a a God that that became flesh, the God that came by the power of the Father, but the God that came in the humility of the Son, my response to Him ought to be one of obedient surrender. And and I think it's, it's also worth noting here as well, That those who surrender in obedient faith to Jesus and experience the work of salvation will in turn learn to love and live as Jesus did. Because our Lord Jesus, He did not come in pomp and glory, but He came in love and humility. He modeled that for us and, and, and we can learn From that as well. The suffering of Jesus is the only true source of satisfaction. So, why did Jesus suffer? There are three promises that answer that question. And the first is the promise of a redeemer. And the second is this number two, the promise of redemption. The promise of redemption. Verses 3 through the first part of verse 5. Look back at that quickly. It says this He was despised and rejected. This phrase, man of sorrows, can be a misleading description of Jesus. We must understand, as as we look into this description of the crucifixion of Jesus, that the sorrow of Jesus is, is not a description of Jesus as sort of a mopey, depressed prophet. The sorrow of Jesus is not his own sorrow. The source of his sorrow is actually our own sorrow that he takes upon himself. Dr. J. Vernon McGee helps paint an incredible picture for us when he says it this way. If you want to know if God hates sin, look at the cross. If you want to know if God will punish sin, look at the darling of his heart enduring the tortures of its penalty By what vain conceit can you and I hope to escape if we neglect so great a salvation? That cross became an altar where we behold the Lamb of God taking away the sins of the world. He was dying for somebody else. He was dying for you and me. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.21 said this, For God made Christ, who never sinned, To be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. You, you, You see, he was not pierced for his rebellion. He was not crushed for his sin for he was without sin. Rather, he was pierced and he was crushed for our sin, for my sin. And for your sin, notice he does not ignore sin. Instead, he takes upon himself the penalty we deserved and he died in our place. One of the greatest joys of my life, and is true for my wife, Aubrey, as well, is our children. We have two kids. Uh, m- my son, Josiah, he'll turn six here in a few weeks. And my daughter, Madeline, we call her Maddie for short because she's kind of mad all the time. Mad Maddie is what we call her sometimes. Well, especially when she was really little, she just always had an attitude. But uh, she's three and a half right now. And we, we love our kids and have so much fun with them. And, and they, are, they are hilarious and they are fun. And as a family, uh, we love doing outdoor kinds of things. Uh, love the outdoor stuff. And uh, I don't know if you've discovered, how many of you have kids in the room? Okay, a lot of you, you've probably discovered this, I've certainly discovered it, that kids have a tendency to make everything more difficult, right? Like they're totally worth it, but they just make everything more difficult. They just do. That's what they're good at. And, uh, and, and, and so for us as a family, we have bought into all of the contraptions you need to do all of those outdoor kinds of things with young children. You know, we've got the jogging stroller and the, the bike trailer kind of stuff and all that kind of stuff. Well, when my son was about one, we purchased a hiking backpack. Have you ever seen those things? It's a backpack, but you can haul a kid in the back of it. And th- when they're like one and they don't weigh hardly anything, they just get in there and fall asleep right away. It's not that big of a deal. But but now, like my daughter's three and a half and we put her in there and I don't know how much she weighs, but she weighs more now than she did when she was one. And, and she's jumping around and going crazy and tickling my neck and thinks it's hilarious. And and it is like exhausting at, When they're one, you're exhausted when you use it. When they're three and a half, you feel like you're going to die when you use it. Uh, At any rate, here's a picture. I brought a picture of me and Maddie. Uh, that was last year up at Sylvan Lake in the Black Hills. Love it up there, and sh- so she was two and a half there, and she loves the hiking backpack. I think the hiking backpack is about to be donated to somebody because I about died about a month ago. And we were we were down at Horse Tooth in Fort Collins, and we went on a hike. And uh, the first two miles, we put Maddie in there, I had her strapped on my back, and we were going along, going along. And after two miles, we took we took a break, took her out, and it was girl. It is time for you to hike with those little legs that God gave you, and I'm thankful for that. So she hiked for a mile and a half or so, but then she got tired. And so Maddie, she at some point in the hike, she she turns around and looks up at me, her dad, and she says, Daddy, will you carry me? I'm too tired. You know, the the most dramatic kind of way you can imagine. That's exactly how she did it. That's how she does everything as dramatic as possible. So she looks at me and she says, Daddy, will you carry me? Now, I, I, I think as a father, I'm generally able to tell the difference between an honest concern, you know, when she really needs help versus just a lazy kind of thing. And, and when she responds in that lazy kind of thing, just like my son, it's, you know, kick him in the butt and tell him, keep walking. Come on, you can do it and sometimes i do that and sometimes my wife needs to kick me says no it's really real but at any rate when my daughter looks up at me and she says daddy will you carry me from my perspective as a father i look down and i see those big blue beautiful eyes and i think oh i love this little girl i love her with all my heart and i will do just about anything for her don't ask for a pony because i'm going to get it you know that's how i feel now you might think you might think that this little girl has her father wrapped around her little finger. And if you think that, you'd be about 100% right. Right? You know, that that happens. And, and I think that's a good thing. I'm thankful for that. But when I look down at my daughter and she reaches out for help, I see the little girl that I love with all my heart. And I'd do anything for her. And I love do I, I love providing for her. I love to carry her and to protect her and all those things. Love that. And when she looks up at me and she reaches out and she says, Daddy, will you carry me? I need help. There's a couple things that that happen there. She looks up at me and she recognizes that I am her dad. and, And because I'm her dad, she knows that I love her. I will provide for her. I will protect her. I will carry her. I will enjoy doing that. And I have the capacity to do so. She knows I'm her dad. And when she reaches out and she says, Daddy, will you carry me? She recognizes this. She recognizes that not only are you my dad and you have the capacity to carry me and to help me, but I am completely incapable of carrying my own weight. And when we look at this man of sorrows... Our Savior Jesus Christ, when He hung upon the cross, when His hands were pierced with the nails, when His body was crushed, He was taking upon Himself the punishment we deserved. His sorrow was a result of my sin. The forgiveness of our sins is not contingent upon God's ability to save. That was sealed when He rose from the dead. It is contingent upon our recognition that Jesus is Lord, that he is God and he's the only one that's capable of saving me. And there must be a recognition that I'm a sinner and I'm completely incapable on my own accord. I must recognize that he is Lord and he has the capacity to save me. And I must recognize that I'm a sinner and I'm incapable of saving myself. Notice here that Isaiah uses the words our sins instead of their sins. There must be an ownership of the sin we've committed against the Lord that I need salvation because of my sin. I'm not sure where you're at in faith, whether you've experienced this redemption or not, but, but I know this, that if you believe on the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. I know that if you confess your sins to God, He's faithful and He's just and He will forgive you your sins. He's the only one that can save you because He paid the price for your sin and for my sin. The suffering of Jesus is the only true source Of satisfaction. So, why did Jesus suffer? There's three promises that answer that question. The first is the promise of a redeemer, the second is the promise of redemption, and number three is this the promise of restoration. The promise of restoration. Isaiah 53, second part of verse 5 through verse 6, says this He was beaten so we could be whole, he was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. You see, the promise of God does not end with forgiveness. There's more here for us to see. And there's a couple enlightening words that I want to just look at quickly And the first word is whole or peace. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was beaten so we could have peace. And and it means reconciliation with God. It's what Paul described in Romans 3.22. And he said, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who they are. We are made right with God. We're reconciled with God. And the second word that's worth noting is whipped or chastised. He was whipped so we could be healed. And the concept is correction. It's the picture of a parent that disciplines their child for the purpose of correction. See, when we come to Jesus in faith and repentance, not only is there forgiveness, which is An unbelievable concept in itself. But not only is there forgiveness, but we are brought into relationship with the living God and we receive healing. Peter references... This passage from Isaiah when he says in 1 Peter 2:24, "He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross, so we can be dead to sin, but don't miss it and alive and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed." That's good news, isn't it? Amen. I'll never forget the very first time as a pastor. That I was called upon to, to along with several of our, our staff as a church, uh, called upon to, to pray for a man who was on his deathbed. Never forget it. Several years ago now. And since then, I've had lots of, I've had. Lots of those experiences now of praying with a family that's just lost someone or praying with an individual uh, that is, is on their deathbed and, and, pray, and breathing their last breaths. And I'll tell you, from my perspective as a pastor, incredibly honoring to be able to pray for someone in those moments. This individual, just an awesome, amazing man, loved everyone around him. Loved his family, loved his friends, just an awesome, awesome guy. And he loved the Lord with all his heart. And and there was such a sense of hope in that room that he knew he was very close to seeing Jesus face to face. I mean, wow, what an honor. But as we prayed there, as I knelt there beside him and, and grabbed his arm and we prayed as a, as a group there together, his body had been completely destroyed by cancer, just completely destroyed. And I know that there's many of you, that word cancer, you, you know intimately the awful realities that go alongside of cancer oftentimes. And in fact, I know that that as a staff, every Tuesday morning, we pray together as a staff over all the prayer requests that come into the church. And and oftentimes, nearly half of those prayer requests are something to do with cancer. It's it's an awful reality that many of you are affected uh, by in, in some way, shape, or form. And one of those awful realities is the treatment of cancer because the treatment of cancer will oftentimes bring the patient all the way to the point of death. And sometimes they are restored to physical health. And sometimes the reality is they are not. Sin is a rebellious cancer in all of us. It separates us from God and it results in death. And the fruit of sin is death on this side of eternity and the other side of eternity as well. But the treatment that God has prepared for sin, it does not leave us hanging at the point of death. God's plan for salvation does not only include forgiveness of sins, it also includes restoration. He does not bring us to the point of death with no hope. He gives healing. He brings restoration and he brings with it the benefits of relationship with the living God. Isn't that good? Amen for that. There is new life. He does not leave us at the point of dying in our sin, but he raises us to new life in him by the power of the resurrected king. Praise the Lord. So what do we do with all of this? How do we respond to the promise of a Redeemer and redemption and restoration? Well, the answer is in verse 6. We've all gone astray. We've chosen our own way. And if we are to experience personally this Redeemer, if we are to accept the redemption that He offers, if we are to experience the restoration that He promises, we must reject our own plans and come to Him in faith and repentance. We're going to close the service today just a little bit different than we normally do. And we're going to take a time of reflection. And uh, the the band's going to come out and they're going to play this song again, Man of Sorrows. And I want to just encourage you and challenge you as the band plays this song to really honestly ask yourself these honest questions. Have I encountered this Redeemer? Have I encountered personally this Redeemer that came by the power of the Father, but He came in humility? Have I experienced the forgiveness and the redemption that happens when I, when I look toward that God in faith, a declaration of faith, and I repent of my sins? Have I experienced, really experienced that forgiveness of sins and that redemption that He gives? And have I experienced the redemption that He promises to those that believe in Him that not only does He forgive, But he restores. He brings healing. Have I experienced that? I want to encourage you to just dwell on those questions. Respond to God in prayer as they play this song out. If nothing else, respond to God today in a spirit of worship. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. It is beautiful and it is amazing And Lord, I pray that we would not just talk about the Redeemer and that we would not just talk about redemption and restoration, but that we would personally experience it. Lord Jesus, we are beyond thankful and beyond humbled by what you've done for us on the cross. As your word says... By your stripes you are healed. And Lord, I pray that that would be true in this place today.